Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about addiction, but more importantly, about recovery. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. You are listening to episode 15 of We Do Recover. I'm your host, Jared Miller. Today, I'm joined via the web by your co-host and our medical expert, Dr. Terry Sellers. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. We are also joined in studio by our favorite producer, Sean Denovan. Hey, I decided to turn the mic on this time instead of yelling across the room. It it sounds golden. It sounds better that way. We love it. We also have a couple that are married in recovery for your featured guests, Amanda and Rudy Carrillo. Did I nail it? it? You got Got it, man. Oh, man. I've been practicing that all morning. (laughs) (laughs) Did great. Awesome. Welcome, welcome. This podcast was recorded in sunny St. George, Utah. Episode 15, part one is brought to you by Steps Recovery Centers, where addiction ends and healing begins. Listen, if you or a loved one needs help, please don't hesitate. Give them a call even if you have questions. 801-800-8142. Let's jump into it. Dr. Sellers, what's new and good with you, buddy? Uh, New is um i don't know i don't know what's new my life is spent countering false information about covid that's kind of all on social media this week on on social media yeah basically so i I don't know if you guys waste my entire day arguing with morons (laughs) that's right i said morons dr sellers has a hobby and it consists of debating A healthy uh, debate on social media. No, about, it's not that. It's not oh, always healthy. I wish I was yeah. healthier about it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It was good hearing from you. Let's get our our couple in, Mister and Mrs. Carrillo. What's new and good in your guys' life? Um, ladies first. Ladies first. Uh, there you go. Good man. Um, just doing the thing. You know, Halloween's coming up, and we got you know a little one at home, and then a teenager who doesn't want to be a part of it this year with us so i'm picking my broken heart up off the floor over it (laughs) it's fine her friends are cooler than us apparently so oh yeah she's at that age yeah yeah she's at that age last year she wasn't this this year she is um yeah are you guys doing anything for spooky halloween this year just trick-or-treating we're trying to yeah hit the good neighborhoods yeah with a a group of people in recovery Awesome. Yeah. Sweet. So with your kids, right? I mean, Amanda, Rudy, we're like, in oh, we're 30s dressing up now. too, man. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You're going to be the one on the door? Yeah. Trick or treat? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'll shave. I mean, probably <laughs> one of the most codependent costumes we could come up with. Yeah. What is it? Let's hear it. Peanut butter and jelly. I love it. <laughs> love it. I love it. Sellers, what are you going to be this year for Halloween? Uh, a grump. I'm going to be grumpy. <laughs> He's going to be Scrooge. I spent, uh, I forgot my new and good. I spent uh, hours this week putting up my one contribution to the Halloween decorations, but it's pretty cool. I got a see-through kind of gauze screen, and then I project holograms off of YouTube onto the back of that screen, like from inside the house, and it's in a window, and then you see these holographic ghosts from outside. It's pretty cool. That's cool. I got to I got to get on that doctor pay holographs and stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's great. It's yeah. on YouTube. It's not oh, pay. Oh, I, okay. I, I click up holographic video Halloween videos on YouTube, and they come up. I love it. Let's get Sean in here. Sean, what's new and good with you, buddy? 
Uh, I've been remodeling the podcast studio. It looks amazing. Oh, I'm only halfway done. It looks good. I got like three orders from Amazon showing up today, so I'm like super excited. Nice. That's about it. Just when I didn't think you could get any better, you just keep evolving this thing, man. Hey, you know, don't don't be putting that pressure on me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. It's good to check in with you, Sean. Okay. Well, let's jump into it. So today's gonna be a little bit different uh, than than we've normally kind of rolled with. Instead of it being kind of a, a story or an autobiography, we've got a married couple here that are in recovery. So I'm going to shoot some questions out there, and, and Dr. Sellers is my co-host. Please, if you have some, feel free to, to jump in and ask your questions. First of all... I'm going to ask my question with four seconds left in this segment. That's when I'll ask it. Yes. Nice. We love it. My man. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourselves, right? When, like, wh- how long you guys been married? What What's your anniversary date? How many kids do you have? Like, let's get to know you guys. Um, let's see, we met in 2007... Six. 2006. <laughs> oh. Should I take this? He meant he meant six. Yeah. Well, we met in 2006. Um, she had two kids already, and I just embraced them all, you know. Uh, um, we had our kid a year later. That's why I get 2006 and seven confused. But, um, yeah. Let's you just know that 2006, 2007 were great years for you. Yeah. Instant family. Instant family. And then you got a biological son or son or daughter. Daughter. Daughter of your own coming into the world. Yeah. On our one year anniversary. <laughs> Get out of here. Serious? Yeah. yeah, we wasted no time. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about your kids if you feel comfortable saying their names and ages and So my oldest is uh nineteen. His name is Isaiah. And um I have and it, I had him at a really young age. Yeah. Um and then I had a 15 year old who is not currently with me right now. It's something, you know, that hopefully being continuing in recovery will mend. Um, I, together we have our 13 year old, that's Alicia, and then we have our five year old, Ariana, who keeps us all on our toes. <laughs> nice. Nice. So we're, we're spread apart, but. That's good, though. I mean, you give them at least enough time to be their own person, right? Yeah. Yeah. To help babysit. (laughs) There you go. I like this guy. I like the way you think. I like the way you think. Planning. Yeah. Cool, cool. So you guys have been together for for a while, since 2006. Um, So what is it? it? We're going on 15 years. Yeah, 15 years. 15 years. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thanks, man. Yeah. That's almost unheard of these days. Yeah. 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 Something to be proud of for sure. All right. Let's jump into this thing. This is a a podcast about recovery and about hope, right? Today, yep. you guys are going to bring our listeners some hope by sharing your guys' experience. So tell our listeners, um, kind of as you look back on your life, maybe pre-substance abuse disorder, were there any underlying traumas? Were there any things that you were kind of carrying that maybe evolved into that substance abuse disorder? Amanda, you want to go first? Yeah. Um, I know for me, um, things started to get a little bit rough after, excuse me, rough, after um, my mom went through a divorce. Okay. Um, and then that resulted in, you know, splitting up the children and, and things like that. Um, I also moved around a lot as a child. Um, and so that meant, you know, sometimes leaving everything behind and walking into a brand new school. Um, I know what was traumatic for me was um, 
going into all these different places, especially schools. And I would be either ahead or behind. And so I kind of gave up in school pretty early on. You know, I struggled to connect with people. Kind of get tired of the here today, gone tomorrow, yeah. new people, new faces, new, new scenes. Yeah. There's a great book called childhood disrupted that, that talks on that, the stability, right? Like kids need structure. They need stability. They need a safe place and, and friendships. Yes. Right? I think that continues even in your adult ages. Yes. So it was, that was kind of the, the traumas that were happening for you. That's what started. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Rudy? Well, I, I felt like I had a pretty good childhood i thought you know it was pretty normal um my mom and dad split when i was three i had two older brothers or stepbrothers um but like looking at it now i can see that it started i think me trying to fit in with them or trying to be accepted by them yeah so um as as i started getting older i would ditch school and stuff like that and um you know just try to find the older crowd always wanting to be accepted pretty much is you know, that's what ended up, I, I would consider that trauma, I think, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you don't have two biological older brothers, right? They're, no. they're through marriage, no, they're it's half. a blended family. Or, no, half. Yeah, sorry, it's yeah. It's a blended family, right. And so you're you're seeking their approval, wanting to feel accepted, wanting to feel a part of, of mm -hmm. them, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I can relate, I have two older brothers as well. And a lot of times I, I just, I can literally remember saying to one of my older brothers, like, I just want to, I just want you to be proud of me. I, I want to feel like I'm, cause they're so much older. Right. <laughs> so you wanted to feel like you fit in. And I also, this made me think of just kind of off the top of my head, maybe is that why you were so open to when you met Amanda and she had two previous kids? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you came from a blended family. So you're like, cool. Yeah. This is home I, for me. Yeah. I think the first thing I said when I met Amanda was, um, oh great. You have kids, <laughs> you know, and it gave me a sense of, um, of being needed you know like yeah. now looking back i can like work working through those things i can see you know it was like codependency or feeling needed or wanting to be accepted you know yeah a sense of purpose is something yeah something bigger than yourself that you need to help take care of or be a part of yeah yeah that's super important so, where, hey where did you grow up what do you call what would you call your childhood home yeah uh pasadena california Okay. Okay. I don't know if you if you said that and I missed it. I apologize. No. Amanda, I, how about you? When did you? Where did you grow up? Well, um, you said I, you moved a bunch, but do you have a place you would call home? Um, finally, I would call St. George home, but I well, started in Southern California and okay. ended up as far east as Tennessee, as far south as Arkansas, and all the in between. You did move around a bunch. Yeah, Holy a man. lot. And a lot of, not even just different like schools or whatever, but different cultures. And, right. you know, I really right. struggled to like find out who I was. Sure. Southern California and Arkansas aren't even close to the same. <laughs> not place, even close. <laughs> that makes well. me, I'm, I'm having these like little insight questions here that I want to ask. So I know Amanda and she is a very accepting, very loving person. I don't think I've ever met somebody that has anything bad to say about her. And maybe that came from your childhood. Like moving around different cultures, different people. You think that maybe played into the sweet personality of Amanda that we know? Um, you're probably only talking to people in recovery <laughs> um, because there was a time where there was not a good thing to be said about me um, from all the wreckage that I had caused. But yeah, I mean, uh, when I got into recovery, I definitely had one of those big switches or shifts and um, Everybody in my life now, the the community around here, they you know mostly know me. I had one; it, it was monumental. 
Yeah. To be honest. So night and day difference. Yeah. That brings us into, do you have any other questions sellers before I hit them with one? Well, I got, I have a, an observation to point out, which, which I love. And that is, uh, part of the, part of the thing about recovery for most of us is that it is a daily reprieve and it is also a daily reminder to work on your character defects, which most other people that don't have like the fellowship of AA or however you do your recovery, most people that don't have that kind of fellowship don't do that kind of thing. Like I, I find myself, it's so easy to slip back into old habits with that. If you don't work on it, you go back to who you were, and I didn't like who I was. I'm guessing, Amanda, you didn't like who you were at that point. Um, I didn't know that I could be anything else other than who I, you know, was. I thought I was wired to be until this time around. I right. had my first try at recovery at 14 years old, um, and I've done plenty of rehabs ever since. Um, the only thing different this time uh, was pretty much 12 step fellowship and, yeah. and creating that connection with something greater than me. Yeah. That's a yeah. great point. A yeah. lot of times you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Right. Right. You don't know any different. Right. Yeah. It's a good point. All right, Rudy, I'm going to hit you with the question. Okay. And then let's get Amanda's take on it too. So you guys are on a podcast about addiction, more importantly about recovery. What did recovery or what did addiction take from you guys? Um, <clears throat> At the end, it ended up taking everything, everything I love. It took uh, my foster, or my kids were in foster care. Um, my dad and my relationships always been solid. Um, it took him pretty much like just, I really upset him, you know, because I was still choosing to go and get to use or drink instead of trying to recover. Um, it took away my and my wife's relationship. Uh, we separated at the beginning of 2017. Um, it took away peace of mind. Like I couldn't, like, I don't, I didn't understand that till now, you know, like it took away my dignity, my morals, uh, my beliefs. It, it took everything, man. Yeah. It robbed you of, of your identity and all those other things you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. Amanda, what do you feel like addiction took away from you um coming into addiction uh recovery i'm sorry um i really don't feel like i had very set morals and dignity like to be honest um so again i thought i was just wired wrong you know Mm -hmm. um but yeah by the end of it um i had walked out on my family and kids and everything and you know, the domino effect pretty much by the end of that year, my kids were all in separate foster homes and, um, it, he went into re- treatment first. So I felt, you know, left behind there. Um, I don't really, I don't have any family around here. Okay. So there wasn't much resources for me to tap into. Like I was homeless. I was pregnant by the time I got into recovery, like it just. You didn't have a lot of social support. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an important part of it. Mm-hmm. So I guess let's backtrack. Should we backtrack a little bit sellers and ask them sure. kind of when, yeah. so it sounds to me like, were you guys both using when you first met or did that happen later in your guys' life or? Yeah, we, um, I started drinking and 
I started drinking, like I said, I was trying to hang out with the big boys and stuff. So I started drinking around like 15 years old. By the time I was 18, I had tried, you know, a couple different substances and, um, but drinking was always part of my normal day by this time. Like it was my normal day to day. And, uh, so by the time I met her, I was, yeah. Um, also, you know, using other substances on the side, but always drinking and, you know, thought I had control over it. You know, I deserve it. I, I worked hard or whatever, you know, but yeah. Our disease tells us, our disease tells us you're functioning. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you got all your stuff together, right? You show up a couple minutes or hours late, but you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. What about for you, Amanda? Um, what, what was the question? I'm sorry. So like you were in active addiction when you yes. met Rudy, right? Okay. And kind of paint us a brief picture of, of what active addiction started and okay. what it looked like for you. Um, I, my substance use started pretty early on in life. I was about 11 years old. And I maybe had like a year or two abstinent off of, you know, this or that, like all throughout my life. And, um, but by the time we met, like I was, yeah, I was pretty much like, I was always doing something. If I, if it wasn't meth, I was drinking. Eventually I got into the painkillers and, and things like that. So it's, I was from age 11 up to 30. 30. Yeah. Got yeah. I just totally burned myself. Yeah, you're good. Not 30. Good. 22. <laughs> In sellers, we call that the addiction of more, right? Like just more of whatever we can get our hands on. Yeah. Well, that's what you call it. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard it in circles. No, I, I, no, I think that's really true, but I, I'm struck by, um, and I know I'm getting way ahead of myself here, but I'm struck by the miracle of someone starts using at age 11 really kind of attempts sobriety at age 14 like most of us can't even comprehend that mm-hmm. like the the enormity and we're going to get to this in the second segment but the enormity of that miracle of someone who started at age 11 who is now clean and sober i don't think people understand how huge that is and how in my mind and i get it if you have a difficulty with the concept of higher power i apologize but i don't i know who my higher power is and only a higher power could do that yeah yeah well said well said we can all agree on that Mm -hmm. all right i'm gonna hit you guys with uh with the question here at what point did you hit your, your rock bottom and we know step number one is recognizing that your life has become unmanageable right um, can I, can I add a, can I ask a question before that one? Cause it comes yeah. chronologically before that one. Absolutely. Like what, um, at what point did you realize it was a problem? Yeah. Great question. Um, so I, you know, as soon as I met her, I was a hardworking man, everything, uh, trying to provide for the family. I would always find myself getting good jobs. Um, you know, working my way up to management or something like you know, I'm I'm a I I'm a great hard worker, and um, but I guess for me when I started to realize I had a problem was when I would end up getting fired by these jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sense of income and like, um, you know, bringing home you know to pay the bills, all that like just got swept up from under me, and then it, it would like start a cycle of like, all right, this time I'm changing, this time I'm gonna do different. I promise. 
you know, I'll stay away from the hard liquor. I'll, I'll stop, you know, doing Xanax or whatever the thing was at the time. And like time and time and time and time again, that would happen. I would lose my job. I would make promises. And then mm. eventually I ended up breaking them. You know, once things started to get better again, once I got a good job again mm. and like I'd start, you know, hanging around with certain people doing, you know, going back to the other, you know, deeper drugs. And then that's, yeah. So I love that. That's a great uh, valid point. And that is it's all it's these tiny little decisions we make which end up going so poorly. Like you just start hanging out again with the wrong people because you've been clean for a minute. Like, okay, I can handle this now because I've been clean for a minute. And that's a giant mistake people make all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, I can relate. A lot of us, we make pleas, right? Just real quick because I realize we're sure. getting short on time on episode one. But I remember a ton of times saying, okay, okay, God, if I do this or, or if yeah. you do this, I promise I'll do this mm-hmm. or some version of that. Man, did Go ahead and answer your version of Dr. Seller's question. Okay, so, so sorry. You, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. Um, I think the birth of my fourth child, um, she was born dependent on opiates, mm. and it was clearly a problem way before then. But I was still in denial. Oh no! I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I was clearly still in denial, and um, but she was born dependent, and um, they actually they they weaned her off in the NICU, and um, they let me take her home. They opened a DCFS case against me, and instead of doing you know what most people would do, like go look for help, I went and found a doctor to manipulate. Oh yeah. And um, I I pretty much knew I was hit after that, so. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, that's a great observation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rudy is uh, is bringing home the bacon, so to speak. Is is paying for the family and the bills. Is that a big part of your identity? Um, it is now. Uh, I, I, asked, I, I asked because I think it's a big part of mine, and it sounded like like you were proud that you had these really nice jobs, but then you'd lose them. Yeah. Did Did you feel a bunch of guilt? Yeah, yeah, losing the yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Thinking about it, like that was my identity. Like, oh, look at me, I'm the manager, or low, look at me, like I, you know, it was, it's what I was taught to do. It, you know, or I thought was like, you know, just work my butt off and bring home the bacon, like you said, you know. Well, I think that's taught to us from previous generations. I mean, I think you. you it sounds like your dad. I don't know this, but it sounds like your dad taught you to be a hard worker. Yeah, he did. And, and that, Ru- that your job was to support the family financially. Yes. And Rudy is a hardworking dude today. I believe that. In his recovery, he's he's a business owner, a part business owner, correct? I am. Yeah, I started my own business. Yeah. That's that is amazing. Yeah. And he works full time at a, another business. At, so. a gr- at another great mm-hmm. job. Yeah. Yeah, this guy, that is admirable. And it sounds like to you, Amanda, your your identity is being a mama. Yes, it was. Um, but I've in recovery, I've gotten to learn a little bit more about myself. So yeah. I became a mom at a really young age. And that's, you know, that, that was my life all through my teenage years and everything. Um, one thing recovery has given me is to find out who I am beyond that. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, you guys have been listening to episode 15, part one of We Do Recover, where we are featuring 
Mr. and Mrs. Carrillo. Thank you guys for listening. In part two coming up, we're going to dive into what their rock bottom was. Uh, step number one, that they realized they were powerless over their addiction and that their lives had be- become unmanageable and transition into their life into recovery. Thank you guys for, for listening. Dr. Sellers, you got anything you want to take I got a quick, on? I got a quick comment because I love doing this right up against the uh, timer. But, Shot clock. Um, that, I'm, I'm just trying to make Sean nervous. This is beautiful. Um, <laughs> My observation is that we those aren't labels that you're the breadwinner and that you're the mama. And we don't mean those as labels. We really mean those as the things we internalize as children. Yeah. Yeah, I, I recognize that. Great point. Join us in part two of We Do Recover coming up. Thank you. Thank you. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery, and once you become with the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times. And it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to part, to episode 15, part two of We Do Recover. We are featuring Mr. and Mrs. Carrillo. This podcast... Sorry, episode 15, part two, is brought to you by the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. It is always sunny and bright at the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. They have amazing amenities. If you're traveling through southern Utah, give them a Google search. Just type in Hilton Garden Inn, St. George, Utah. I promise you won't regret it. Dr. Sellers, we had a caller with a, with a question. Are you ready to take that? Yeah, let's go. Before we get back to our featured guests. All right, yeah. here it is. Hi, my name's Crystal. I'm calling from Orem. I just had a question for you. Um, I have a couple friends who have used Kratom to get off opiates and heroin, and I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that. Thanks. All right. Well, let's get to that. That's a great question, by the way, because – Thank you for calling uh, me, Crystal. Yeah. I've I've heard a lot of those um, – I've heard a lot of those things. Like, let's skip Kratom for just a second. People using meth to get off of opiates, and people using opiates to get off of meth, and people using alcohol to get off. Of, I mean, that combinations are endless, right? Yeah, yeah. Using a, a an addictive substance to get off of an addictive substance is not like that. Just doesn't make any sense. Like common sense says, that's a really bad idea, and yet people do it all the time, right? I mean, you, I've I've heard it so many times in my job and in my career that, oh, why were you using meth? Well, because I need to get off the opiates. Oh, well, now you got a meth problem. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I just I chuckle at that because the things people will try besides getting clean are amazing. So I want to talk about kratom for a little bit. Kratom is a uh, first of all, kratom is a it comes from a tree. 
The leaves contain a couple of different compounds which are psychoactive. The tree is native to Southeast Asia. So if you don't have your map out, Southeast Asia is, uh, well, I went on a mission to Indonesia, so I always mention Indonesia, but Thailand and Laos and Cambodia and these these countries change their names occasionally and they have different names, but um, but that's kind of Southeast Asia, Japan and the Philippines and those that area is Southeast Asia. Very tropical, most of it. Thailand, you think of as tropical. For sure, Indonesia and the Philippines are tropical. Beautiful place. And the, go ahead. As you said, beautiful place. Yeah, these are great places. And I've been to a bunch of them, and they're just, I love them. They're so beautiful. One of the trees is a tree that can that is the kratom plant. Kratom goes by a number of names around the world, but here in the United States, we call it kratom. The leaves contain a psychoactive substance which acts two ways actually both as a stimulant and as an opiate hmm. and people use it mostly for its opiate qualities if you use kratom in very small amounts it acts a little bit like a stimulant people report more energy uh, maybe even increased alertness uh, those sort of things if you use it in larger amounts then the opioid uh, characteristics take over it binds in the brain to the exact same receptors that opiates do it's an opiate so, you know, the other excuse people use is it's all natural. Well, you know, frankly, so are most opiates. Well, that's that's not totally true, but it used to be true. There's a whole bunch of synthetic and man-made opiates now, but the truth is most opiates used to come from opium, which came from the poppy plant. So that's natural as well. Um, ancient China used to smoke um, opium all the time as a social ritual and um, – and it just made people feel great and made them relaxed, right? Uh, the problem is it's all addictive. So Kratom, if it binds to the opioid receptors in the brain, then it's going to provide relief from opiate withdrawal, which is why people use it to get off of opiates. The problem is I now I'm starting to see people, lots of people, that are addicted to Kratom. Right. It's not it's you're just changing one opiate for another basically. Now you have to use a large amount of kratom to get the same high that you're going to get from heroin or fentanyl. But people are doing that. People aren't people aren't using small amounts. They're using large amounts. And so I've always hated the argument of it's all natural. First of all, you're you're going to smoke it or you're going to I mean there's a bunch of ways to make it unnatural. And then the other argument is that well, it's not like a controlled substance well it's not a controlled substance because basically no drug manufacturer makes it that's the only reason it's not a controlled substance it binds to opiate receptors and it's addictive so it's not a great idea it's not a great way to get off of opiates it's just as easy to taper the opiates as it is to use kratom and try to taper that so get help if you have an opiate addiction Get help. Do it the right way. Get off of the opiates. Your life will be better. And I can tell you that. And I'm guessing Rudy and Amanda can tell you that too. Life is better not on these mind-altering substances, no matter what they are. Well said. Thank you, Dr. Sellers. We, man, we are blessed to have a medical director such as Dr. Sellers to be able to provide us with information like that. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Let's jump back into you guys. So before. Back in part one, we asked the question, what's your rock bottom? Basically, what, what kind of led up to that step number one that we learn 
in, in the 12 steps, recognizing your life had become unmanageable. And, and what was that for, for each one of you? Um, for me, it was, um, it should have happened long before it did. However, when I really, um, when it really happened for me, I was visiting my kids at the DCFS office and I was doing um, supervised visits for one hour a week. I was, I'm not even sure how far along I was at the time pregnant um, because I had no medical care. Um, and I remember, you know, planning to go see them and I, I had to be high to go see them. Of course, yeah. And. I was so heartbroken um, watching them walk in with other families and um, just seeing the way they were dressed. You know, I picked everything apart and my youngest at the time walked in the room and she didn't even like notice that I was in there. Mm. And um, and then I saw my, my older daughter holding it all together. She, she didn't cry or nothing. She like, and I knew she was in so much pain and then I would watch him leave. And I'd never felt so heartbroken. And I would ball all the way home and I would still end up with another needle in my arm. That's a definition of powerless, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That must have been extremely and, difficult. And insanity, that's yeah, just insanity. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, just a quick side note, I used to be an OB and you had to be high to come see me, but I had to be high to see you as well. So it would have been a perfect relationship. Right? <laughs> we don't have to live like that I'm, anymore, guys. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to make fun of this. This is extremely serious. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. And that pain, that pain that you just described was was unbelievable sounding. Yeah, it I was. Can, good can, tool to have today, though. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Rudy. What's up? What point did you realize that you were powerless over your, your addiction and your life had become unmanageable? Um... When did I realize it or when did I accept it? Both. Because <laughs> uh, looking Great. back. Um, Great point. When I used to go to work, you know, and I need to have something before anything, really, not on, not just work. Work was like my, my Monday to Friday. But when I would have to use something to go do something, mm -hmm. like when, like uh, Halloween's right around the corner, like when we would... You know, I would be getting ready to go take the kids trick-or-treating and I would pregame, you know, start getting, you know, doing a couple pills, drinking, and then we'd leave and like a block away, I would already have to go back to the house and get some more. Man. And mm. then eventually mm. like, and this was like everything, everyday, everyday parenting type things like Christmases and just, um, like we never went camping, you know, because I couldn't, <laughs> I would pregame and then I get too messed up and then not be able to do anything. Yeah. I can remember it. I hate to bring this about me cause it's about you guys today, but I can remember the same feelings. I remember my family would ask me to go on trips and this is before the heroin started and it was just opiate pills. And I would think to myself, I'd go count my pills, right? Like, am I going to have enough? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. and today I'm grateful that I don't have to live like that anymore. If somebody says, Hey, let's go to Cancun. Sweet. When we leaving, what am I wearing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Ah, the freedom. Yeah. Let's transition in, into that. So what is, what did early recovery look like for, for both of you guys? Amanda, we'll start with you. What kind of jobs, what kind of triggers, if, if I'm a listener and I, I'm out there and I'm listening, 
what did you experience that maybe they can, you know, feel and, and be able to identify with? So um, I, I have to bring this up just because it's, it's funny today. Um, he went into recovery first. Um, it, we were supposed to both go at the same time. However, I manipulated my way out of that. <laughs> so he went into treatment on October 1st. And I was still out there for a little bit. Um, I'm coming up on three years on November 5th. He just got his. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. And um, he, I, I, I have to give him crap about this. If there was a poster boy for like being like recovery, it was him. <laughs> like he was just like, he did all the things and he was spiritual and um, yeah, he was just great. And then there was me. And if there was a poster of what you thought of the person that was not going to make it, that was me. Yep. I broke all the rules. I was on the blackout for like seven weeks. I was just always in trouble. <laughs> um, but for those of you that don't understand blackout, she's talking about going to treatment and you, the, the initial part of treatment, they try to get you focused on being there and not on the outside world. So you don't have contact with your relatives or loved ones for a brief period of time, not seven weeks. Like you decided more to like it, two. But, yeah. But, I mean, it's but, supposed to be seven days, uh, right. yeah, about seven weeks for me. Yeah. It's fine. Wow. I love that because if somebody's out there and they're struggling and they think there's no way I can do this. If they're listening to this, there is. There right? is. There Not is. all of us catch it right off the bat. You know, um, I fought. Every, I remember having, so I went into treatment and um, I eventually was like, okay, abstaining and showing up to my group. I, you know, I went through residential and then into day treatment and I was doing all the things. And I remember um, my, one of my counselors was like, you know, when you walk into a room you have a, a presence about you. And I had, it was, had been a long week. I was getting grilled and picked on and all this in group and everything. And, and he told me, you have a presence about you, but it's so negative. And I remember thinking like, what more do you want from me? Yeah, yeah. Like I'm f trying to follow the rules to the best of my ability. I'm doing the things. Um, but then it hit me that day. It hit me that it wasn't the drugs and alcohol. Ooh. It was it was my behavior. It was the fear and resentment and everything that just kind of oozed out of me. It wasn't you know. Yeah, I had been your... clean and 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 what and here I am still, just. It was your mentality, your outlook. Yeah. Yeah, the drugs were just the end result. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, thank you for yeah, that. The, the drugs weren't the problem; they were the solution. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. 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 Right. But they're not really a long term solution to anything. But I mean, people don't completely understand that a lot of people are self medicating for problems that are absolutely real. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Rudy, we heard that you're the poster boy. <laughs> Tell us what what did early recovery look like for you? What were some of the things maybe triggers or things that tripped you up jobs? You know, so um, I did a lot of I think one of the you mentioned triggers, one of the things that triggered me a lot in early recovery was um we did a lot of uh hustling here in town or like doing people dirty and stuff what you do know? you mean by hustling <laughs> let's get into this selling drugs okay you know selling drugs or just you know robbing peter paypal like whatever gotcha. anything i had to do to get some free drugs um so you know being around this town it's a small town i you know one of the one of the triggers 
or fears was like, uh, oh, I did something here. I would always go and get high at parks or bathrooms, public bathrooms. Like, you know, that's, I used to do that. Um, so the, I would start seeing those and that would trigger me. Um, but I don't know, going to the question, um, I think the first year for me was, it was, uh, it was, it was rough. Um, you know, I've, I had all these great jobs. I, you know, held my, I held myself on, like this was my identity. I went and got a job at McDonald's for my first year. Um, mm, thank you for the honesty. Yeah. And, um, I rode a bike around. I, um, it was, you know, I was, I wake up, go to treatment, go to work or after treatment, go to work and then go back home. And yeah. that was just, it was just, yeah, I, whatever they told me to do, I would do. Mm. If that's what makes me the poster boy, then like, that's, you know, I did whatever they asked because I knew that what I thought and my ideas wasn't working. Like, look where it got me, you know, just be willing to do something different. And, you know, the outcome has been amazing for me. Like, this is a life beyond my wildest dreams today. I love that. And listen, the poster boy is not a bad thing. Mm. Not at all. Some of us are ready for change, willing, and we jump in. Yeah. Right. We, it doesn't take us, you know, time and time again. So that's no, that's no diss on you, man. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that's that. The, that's part of modern society though, right? Uh, is that being the poster boy for recovery sounds like it's not a very macho thing. Yeah. And we, we are, <laughs> we are taught as boys to be macho basically. Yep. I mean, Macho's not a not an American word, I understand, but we're all taught that in some form of like we're supposed to be the tough guys and the and the not not the poster boy for recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Just so to, so, so way to change completely your identity. Thanks. Yeah. Just to add on, like um this for the listeners, like um our first year also we we're living in a hotel. Well, yeah, we're living in a hotel for a bit. Um, For first, we were in separate sober livings. We did our separate treatments. Yeah, right, right. yeah. yeah. and eventually we tried to move together, and we were in a hotel. Uh, we had to put up a child for adoption. Um, so, like, we've we've been through some stuff. Like, there's you know people like the whole DCFS case. You know, um, the kids were in foster cares, and we we're just trying to do whatever we can do to get them back in my dad's care. And then eventually, you know, back in our care, um, we just showed up. I feel like we just showed up and did the next right thing. And things just, like, no lie, miraculously started to work out. You know, we just show up, do the next right thing. So if there's anybody out there that's, you know, got the whole DCFS case um, going on, you know, just show up, do the next right thing. Show up, do the next right thing. And things just start to work out. I felt like that's what that's what was my experience. Absolutely. I love that you shared that. You know, it made me think of the combination of both of your stories made me think of this. Perception is everything, right? Mm -hmm. And it's funny because so today, part of my life in recovery is I work out, I go to the gym and I have a, a sweet girlfriend, Mandy, who goes with me and she has this pink bag that she carries around that has all of her stuff in it, right? And if we're working at one station, sellers is laughing. If we're working at one station and the gym's crowded, especially on Mondays, I'll pick up her pink bag, throw it over my shoulder and walk to the next station to reserve the machine. And one day my buddy came up to me and he's like, Jared, dude, you got to stop wearing your girl's bag. You look like a punk. And, I, and it's funny. I laughed and I thought, I have a healthy relationship today. I have somebody, you know what I mean? Who loves and cares about me. I'll be a punk. Yep. I'll carry that bag. Like at some point we got to move away from society's view judgments yeah yeah you know i'll i'm happy being a punk carrying her bag mm -hmm. 
if that makes me less of, of a man, well, it does. Yep. I'm cool with it. Right. Yep. It doesn't. It doesn't. That's the thing. You are more of a man because you're willing to pick up yes. a bag that doesn't look all that macho. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it's the perception, right? The bag sort right. is just, just the example of really when you guys made a real serious change, your perceptions changed. And then like you said, Rudy, man, miraculously things started happening for yep. you. That's God working in your life. Definitely. That's my high power. I give yep. him his glory. Like Dr. Seller said, Sam. All right. We got six minutes. Can I hit him with one more question or do you got something, Terry? No, I I want to transition really quickly to life today, but you hit him with your question. And that's exactly what it is. So okay, good. we know that being abstinent isn't the same thing as a life in recovery, right? Mm-hmm. Simply refraining isn't the same thing as living a uh, fulfilled life in recovery. What does your guys' life in recovery look like today? Um, for me, it uh, it's definitely being an active participant, like with my children and my husband, we work together. Um, we both are employed We we both contribute to our household. I don't put all the, the, the weight on him. And I mean, I did that before and to get me high, you know? And so today I get to, you know, work a job and, um, contribute and I get to be a mother and, I mean, we work really crazy schedules. Like I I work graveyards and he works a lot of hours during the week. And thankfully my father-in-law who has been the foundation, like the rock of our family through all of this, he lives with us. And um, we all just, we get to make a living amends today. Um, I get to pay my bills. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I, I mean, I've, I've had health insurance for a year that I pay for it. And I grew up on state assistance type stuff, you know, game changer. And, um, I, I get to do those things today and, um, I get to, I work in recovery. Um, I work at steps and, um, I get to work with people who, you know, were just as lost as I was coming into all this. And while that's, it's amazing because quick, quick story. Um, I went to visit him when he was in treatment. (laughs) He's laughing already. And, um, I was super out to here pregnant, um, high out of my mind. And I was like appalled that they wouldn't let me see him. (laughs) And I made a big old scene and I got arrested. (laughs) Um, and now I've, I've been employed for almost two years with the same company. Wow. Yeah. And so I'm just, you know, I just, I got a connection to something greater than me and I get to work with other people and be a mom and a good wife and yeah. That you're inspiring me. You're a great example. <laughs> Rudy, what does your life in recovery look like today, buddy? Man. And feel free to give a shout out to your company. A legacy fencing. If you need what? any gates, fences or anything welded, I, I got you. I am just getting started, you know, so. I don't really have my prices all figured out yet, but just bear with me and, you know, I can, I'll make sure you guys are happy with the end result of your fence. I love it. Oh, <laughs> Is yeah. that your life in recovery? I mean, share your life in recovery. That's a big part of it. I know. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, my life in recovery is, um, I, I don't know like where, how to say it. Like I, I don't stress out a lot, you know, I don't try to control things. Um, I try to give it, you know, let things work out the way they're supposed to work out. Um, I get to show up for my kids. I get to uh, take them to, I come through on on camping trips and stuff like that, you know. I have a a host of friends that, you know, 
that I can call on, talk to about anything that I'm going through. People always checking on me. Um, the fact that people want to go trick-or-treating with us on Saturday, you know, it's like usually, usually like we're the people to not go with, you know? Yeah. So um, I get to um, participate in the fellowship, um, you know, share the message, uh, work, do the work, you know, um, reach out to the newcomer. I try to... Um, I I try to contribute to to society. You know, when I used to always try to find how can I come up, how can I take from, like I I want to be of service. I want to you know do for others. Um, I'm not really looking for me to to come up anymore. You know, yeah. and like th- on those things, just I sleep better at night. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I look at myself in the mirror and I I like the person that I'm becoming. You know. So. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And that's huge, right? I mean, you kind of hinted on it. You went from robbing people or doing whatever it took to get what you needed to today. You're giving back, being a positive part of the community, healthy social circles. Yeah. I love it. You guys are both a great example. We got about a minute left. Sellers, you got any? Yeah. Yeah. Two quick comments. The first is that I think this is as, as powerful of a story as we've had. I mean, this. For sure. This is so great to see and so great to watch. And you guys are such great examples, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, my second comment is, Rudy, if you got a, if you got legacy, did you say legacy fencing? Yes. Tell people how to get a hold of you, man. 435-922-9829. Shoot me a text message or call me. That's mm-hmm. I, I'm. That's all. That's where I'm at right now. I haven't started any websites or anything like that yet. That's Beautiful. where I'm at. That's awesome. Beautiful. And also, if you're thinking about getting into recovery, you can work with an amazing person like Manda at yep. Steps. So. We also have a detox center now. Wow. in Southern Utah, yeah. Game changer. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Dude. Thank you guys for listening to episode 15 featuring Mr. and Mrs. Carrillo. Say it like you're supposed to say it. Come on, you do it so Try it one more time. Carrillo. 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 Hey, thanks for having us on. Thank Absolutely. you. Join us next week. Next week we have Ron Williams, the director of Happy Valley. Happy Valley. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for helping me, sellers. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from a podcast studio.